This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. And as always, we're going to be having a fun and insightful, engaging conversation with people who are creating independent culture. And um, I document it. So if you are just joining the show, first of all, thank you, because I've noticed a little uptick in listeners recently. And uh, for those of you that checked out our recent bonus episode that I posted on Monday of this week, uh, I appreciate that because some of you you know, may have already heard that. It was a rebroadcast of an old episode that I wanted to put up in memory of John Bunch, the singer of Sensefield, Further Seems Forever, Reason to Believe, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but I wanted a lot of people who came onto the show recently to um, dive into that episode because, you know, sometimes... I realize diving into the show is uh, slightly intimidating because, you know, we've got 180 some odd shows under our belt and it's uh, it's it's a lot to take in. But um, I digress. This this conversation is uh, so late last year. I kind of put a little vote on some of the social media networks that uh, 100 words is present on and kind of asked like, hey, what what sort of stuff do you want me to do differently? Because, uh, you know, I get locked into what I want to do. And sometimes it's nice to hear other people's opinions of uh, what they find valuable in this show. So uh, I did that. And everybody said, you know what, once a month, I would like you to uh, just kind of sit down with a very no agenda, sort of very casual conversation with uh, a friend of yours. Because, uh, you know, I occasionally do that. And uh, but basically, people really enjoyed that. So I dedicated myself for all of 2016 to once a month, have a casual conversation um, that isn't really uh, typical of what uh, this show is. And uh, that this episode is one of them. It's with one of my best friends, Mike Minnick. He is the uh, vocalist for a band called Curl Up and Die and Puig Destroyer. Um, and I'm totally blanking. He plays in a new band with uh, some other friends of mine, uh, Riley from the band Thrice, Eddie from the band Thrice, and uh, Ian from uh, Puig Destroyer and Kaloon Walled City and a bunch of other great bands, um, but I'm totally blanking on their name. And um, you know, I'll uh, I'll I'll do that in a correction <laughs> come next episode. But uh, yeah, Mike has been a friend of mine for forever. It feels like I think I met him when I was like 18, 19 years old, and I'm 35. So you can you can do the math. We're we're approaching 20 years, and um, he's him and I have just always gotten along. But well, hold on, let's let's. Let's take care of some business first, and then we will be able to uh, dive into the episode. So for those of you that are using the Amazon affiliate link, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for including that in your browser bookmarks and on your phones and wherever else you're doing your shopping. I appreciate that because like I said, do that. So basically, you can look at the show notes of this particular episode, which you know, most podcast players are very easy to, uh, to find. Find that Amazon link, save it to whatever internet browser you use. And every time you shop on Amazon, you click on that link. It gives me 4% 
of whatever it is you buy. Your prices are not higher. Nothing is skewed like that. And basically, it's just Amazon's way of saying, hey, thanks for referring people to buy our stuff. So please do that. It's a way for if you don't want to contribute your own hard-earned cash, you're able to do that, and it gives back to the show. So I really appreciate those of you who are doing it. I'm only going to bug you about it for the next couple weeks, and then I'll kind of let that fade into the ether. But uh, please do that. For those of you that are regular listeners, I would uh, really greatly appreciate that. So, um, yeah, no more business. Uh, what things going on in my life? Thank you for asking. I appreciate that because, you know, I ask you, well, I don't, but hey, how are you? Oh, really? That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, anyways, moving on to me, more important things, right? No. <laughs> But the uh, things are going all right. I am doing well at my job, my new job, locked in on that, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with everything. So th- really, there's nothing to say. But let's, let's talk about Mike and the conversation we're going to have. We go to a ton of different places. We talk about uh, vocalist stuff because for whatever reason, in uh, the years that I've been playing music, I was um, really, uh, yeah, I didn't communicate with anyone in regards to any sort of vocal problems I was having or lyric problems or anything else like that. But Mike, we always connected about that. So um, anyways, I could go on and on, but I won't because this discussion with Mike will do it all the justice it needs to. So listen to this and then I will talk to you at the very end of the episode. Here you go. It's it, there's something that's so. I mean, obviously, when we were doing Legos as kids, like we didn't think about it like that. But there's something that's so cathartic about just like doing the plan, finding the pieces, like following a step by step process. It's like so relaxing. Yeah, totally. It's like it's like the closest I've come to the taking path or going to the bathhouse. Right. I like refound that. Like, just try to find that same feeling in different like aspects of life, I guess. Right. And Legos is definitely one. Like work has already been better for the last few months and like starting again because I do more like office managing, setting up rooms or like building like the couches or furniture or, or like white, any like anything we have sent to our office, like I just take care of it and build it and like decide where everything goes nice. and set it up. So I just like have my headphones in, listen to music or podcasts and I just build and it's super relaxing and it makes me feel like at the end of the day, I feel better. Like You've accomplished done something. something. Yeah. yeah, I used to just yell at people and get yelled at. <laughs> that's not fun. That's just like stressful. Dude, that's so. I love. I love that that concept of like doing something to its completion. Like I totally like the the new job at Midroll. It's like <clears throat> there's a lot of things that I have to do that are very task oriented. Where it's like you know a a company wants to buy a year's worth of ads and like I need to like put them in our system and properly categorize them, put them on the right shows and stuff like that. But then it's like, once I've completed that, it feels so good. You're like, Oh, that's a, that, that's what people feel like when they tick it off their checklist or whatever. Like, yeah. Whereas like sometimes the, the work that I know you get into when it comes to a creative space, you, you're never done. So it's not like you can ever like take it off the list unless you obviously like whatever you like you using the lyric example. It's like, yeah, when you're done with the song, I guess you're technically done with that lyric, but like that's such an amorphous thing. Yeah. I don't know if you do this. I push, I think of it the same way as Legos or a puzzle. And I think of it as building, even though I'm not like, I'm, I'm not good with my hands or a builder at all. So this is like my version of that. And I push like the pieces around until they're until the song is recorded. Basically I fuss with it. Right. Like I have a concept idea, but I'll like mess with it nonstop 
and it's that whole thing of like it's never finished it's just done because it has to be right and it's sort of that definitely like the creative aspect the yeah the i like the yeah i know i i don't think of it that way i definitely i'm a much more linear thinker when it comes to lyrics and like kind of completing them i mean usually i start off with just like kind of a a general theme or thought like whether it's like one line or one sentence and then i i just kind of build off from there because i mean i never have enough lyrics i always am like oh god i need like at least seven more lines in this song (laughs) and so yeah dude Uh, i'm i'm always woefully and not even so much from a I, i i it's like i write I get my point across and I'm done. But then it's like, oh, that doesn't necessarily match up with the the timing of the song or like my the way that I was phrasing it doesn't match up with the way that it should be sung, you know? And then everyone else is like, "Hey, so we got another minute?" I'm like, "Oh, okay. Let's let's see if I can I can jam some more thoughts in there." But then some of the like the mo- the mo- most I guess like compelling lyrics I felt I've written have been coming out like have come out of that sort of scenario, you know? Do you, yeah, do you usually yeah, have two? Wall. Yeah, do you usually have two? I guess too many lyrics. Well, I'll do. So it depends. Sort of. I used to have too many, and I was bad at editing it down until I had to, and that was just like me scrambling and writing a bunch of mess and hoping something kind of stuck. And that's like mostly what I did with like curl and die lyrics, just like trying to figure out how to do it. And then at the end, I think I sort of got an idea where I would like come up with like three ideas that were kind of connected, like two or three, so I could just write around those ideas and let the song go whichever way it wanted to. Got it. And then I kind of remove stuff and edit down, between, like depending on like phrasing or like length of song. That, uh, make, that makes then, sense. Yeah, you have these these foundational pieces that rather than just. Like how I'm, I'm just coming up with one sentence and one thought. You're kind of having these like the more uh, more ammo to play with in the song. Yeah, got it. That's a, sort of. And then a thing that was great, uh, actually, for lyrics, I'm realizing now was, and even just recording vocals and stuff is when I did like the Puig Destroyer stuff. You don't think about it. Too, you don't overthink anything because it's just for goofball thing for fun. And that let me realize, like, oh, like, don't get too in your head. And, like, like you have to do a little bit with non-joke stuff. But it, it kind of, like, made me realize there's, like, a happy balance to being just, like, free-for-all and being, like, too in my head and anxious to even, like, put anything down mm-hmm. that you're happy with. Right. Uh, so I'm kind of, like, I don't know, just keep yeah. learning and messing it, with it, I guess. It's, it's funny because you... I, I I never ever have spoken at length to other people who have sang for bands. Like, at, honestly, you're the only person I've ever conversed with on like, the, like more in depth in regards to like lyrics and and the process of like you know whatever. I joke around about how terrible it is to record vocals and stuff like that with people, but never to the same extent of what you and I have chopped it up. I don't know. It's just weird. I just so I've. I've always been that way, just specifically with you. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I like talking with you about that, but everyone else would be like, oh, no. It's like, do you want to go into Guitar Center? No, of course not. I don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, 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 no. Because uh, like a weird thing, but then, I don't know, like we've talked about this before and just how like we're almost the same age. Like we've got we got in a hardcore and punk around the same, same time. We like have the same sort of trajectory with different bands and they interwove. 
yeah. just with like touring and friendships and stuff like that. So it sort of makes sense. And we can like, I don't know, you've just been easy to relate to and been around, you know, my friend and we right. do a similar thing. So, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it, it's, it, it's not to me. I mean, obviously it's not shocking hearing you lay it out like that, but then it's to me where it's just like when I hear other people talk to, you know, like, Oh, I reach out, whatever, like, you know, our, our mutual friend, Jeremy, he, you know, is like, Oh yeah, I've talked to Jeff from Thursday and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, these are his friends. So he's obviously not name dropping, but then yeah. it's like, I never like even people that, you know, I spent a lot of time on the road with, I would never like, you know, I wouldn't go to Dustin and be like, Hey Dustin, <laughs> like, let's talk about, I would never think about that. Yeah. Like I would talk to him when I did like the thrice, when I went with them on tour and I was just like the, the merch dude, just like, How's the help? Wait, that's a bad phrase to say. <laughs> I just helped out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You were the you were the road guy. You were the uh, you yeah. Sold, did you? I forgot. So, well, you you actually sold merch, right? Or you were kind of the TM sort of? No, yeah, I just sold merch. It was like okay. early on, and uh, but like I didn't. It was still before I drove. I didn't have a license, so like the Curl and Die guys hated me. Right. And then like I was like kind of feeling that. So then the Thrice guys all like to drive anyway, and they didn't care. I let them know ahead of time. But so I was like, hey, like, you guys are, like, playing shows. You'll be tired. Like, let me at least be, like, the navigator on the night drives or, you know. So I would do that here and there. And I remember having, like, cool talks with Dustin. And we would sort of talk about, like, bands and lyrics that we liked. But we never we never did do that same thing where you, you start talking, like, talking shop or craft with lyrics. Right. And I think maybe – I think I figured out why is I emailed a dude once. I've asked, like, a couple people – early on they were like either people that inspired me or I was super into like vocal questions just cause I want to know how to be better. And they seemed like they were really good at it. Uh, and like one, I remember was the guy, uh, Dave from harvest. Oh yeah. Dave. Yeah. yeah. Cause we like played shows and I just met up with them and that one was fine. Cause it was nice and it was face to face. And then I emailed a guy and he was hyped and wrote back to me and then i brought up the vocal stuff and then he did like didn't reply (laughs) and i was like oh like i was like oh like he thinks i'm just trying to get something out of him maybe or it felt too too weird so i don't know maybe because me and you are friends i don't feel like i'm off-putting to talk about it with you or for (laughs) you to like bring it up with me sure yeah it's not it's not it's not a burden on like this uh this idea that our relationship is merely transactional like yeah, exactly. I'm just looking for something from you constantly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that 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 definitely made that that makes sense from from that sort of yeah. Because I, I yeah, I don't I don't think I ever. I mean, I I definitely I remember I had a conversation once with uh, Tim Singer from Dead Guy and Kiss a Goodbye, and it was one of those things where you know I just was it was more so from a curiosity standpoint of just like how did you how did you make yourself sound like that like you know you, you sound genuinely angry on everything you've ever done and that's a hard emotion to tap into when you're recording it especially you know in the early to mid nineties it's like you know you were you were <laughs> you were probably tracking vocals with people who were just like hey why are you yelling like. <laughs> Yeah, right. But yeah, I can't. I honestly, I can't remember what his actual response was. I think he was just, you know, I was just a dumb kid. I had no idea what I was doing. It's like, well, okay, that's probably that's. I guess that's most of us. I think that's most of us. I think there's something. I, I mean, I don't know, like what he did to get good at all. But when you hear it and you compare him to other people that put in at least as much as him or more, 
uh, to get good, and they're not as good as him. It's just one of those things. You're like that dude is just yes, like he worked hard and he's awesome at singing, and it got better. But his voice is just like his voice, and it's it's awesome. Like right. there's so much just he's natural. Built, he's built for it. Yes, exactly. Like the same way, one that I'm always fascinated with is Garrett from Planes. Oh, dude, for sure. Just how he has that. It almost sounds like there's an effect, like a, like a, like some, he sounds almost like a ghost, mm-hmm. but like a ghost is like harmonizing with him while he sings. It's the most unique thing to his voice. And I have never heard anyone even like attempt to emulate it or pull it off. It's just like, he, it's only him. It's that's a very very good example of someone who's just like, I mean, especially like whatever you. I just remember being so floored by that first EP they put out because it was just like he's not singing, but he's completely hitting notes. And how is this? Yeah. How is this happening? And then even obviously later, where it was just like, you know, it was super aggressive. But there's still like you said that I think the ghost I always equated to the melody. Like the ghost was always like putting the the melody in his you know sounding like he swallowed gravel it was just yeah so yeah exactly and it's like there is even it's sort of how like i don't know if you remember that there was like this rumor when uh uh not destroy the machines what's the record gamaro season ends or crisis came out and everyone's like there's no way that's him that's like all (laughs) effects like it just can't be him like when i hear garrett garrett or garrett i probably just forget uh from plane's voice I'm always like, there has to be effects, but there's not. Yeah. And then he has like a quiet sounding voice too. And I actually saw they played here like uh like a few weeks ago, like right before the holidays. Okay. And I saw him in just like a show. Um and like the sound of the place was kinda off and all the other bands, it sounded weird. And I was like, oh, like it's probably gonna sound bad. So it's kinda sucks because I like them so much. And it, I forgot the, how loud they are and how good they sound <laughs> sure. and how loud his voice is. Like, he doesn't do, like, an Elliot Smith sort of thing at all. Yeah. There's nothing gentle about him. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I remember the uh, – well, because I, I toured with Alexis on Fire doing same thing that you did with Thrice where I was the, you know – well, driver slash merch guy or whatever. And they, it was hot water music planes mistaken for stars and this other band called moments in grace. And it I mean, it was amazing because it's like, you know, I mean, I think I said four words to the hot water music guys. Like, even though they're the nicest guys, I was just like, you're, you're way, way above me at my pay grade. I'm not even going to act like we're on the same tour. Cause you're fucking way more awesome than I am. But <laughs> hearing, hearing Garrett, like, or, just just warm up i mean you know when i say warm up it's like walking by him like five minutes before they were going on stage but it was just like yeah he he was like summoning something it definitely was like otherworldly (laughs) yeah yeah it's like yeah there there is an element of like uh possession with him in ways that um you just you can just tell where it's like not only does that guy have a very unique voice but it's like obviously he's got a lot of demons he's trying to exercise as well (laughs) yeah there's something like it's almost you can hear it coming from his gut Dude. You know, like it's so weird <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Did you, um, like when you went out with thrice and you were doing that, did you like touring, like from a working perspective or did you like kind of yearn being like, Oh man, I'd love to like, you know, cause obviously since thrice was more aspirational and like in the sense of 
they were much larger than either of our bands combined. <laughs> and so like touring with them or, you know, traveling around with them, it was always interesting to watch how many people they were playing to. Like, did you, did you like that? Or was that element of like, Oh man, I wish I could play. Uh, yeah, but I got lucky because they, they started having me sing a song at the end. Right. So that, yeah, you know, like you sing that same song. So that like started then and it made it super fun. So I had that to look forward and that would like scratch that itch a little bit because you do like, I would, I don't know, you get so inspired by like seeing bands play every night and they're like a great band and they're like different than what I do, like somewhat or like at least what I was doing at the time and they approach stuff a lot different than I was at the time. So it was cool to, to see all of that and uh, also see like bands that they're playing with that were also amazing or bands that were like not good. And that inspired me as much like not, but not, not good, but just something I was like having like a bad reaction to that made me have positive reactions about stuff I wanted to do mm-hmm. musically. And then, so the, the like, the like doing it as a job, like being like a tour roadie or like the management stuff or any of that is definitely not for me. Like that was the one time I did that, that I think. And I did that because I had like a month off before Curl and Die stuff. And I really liked all the Thrice guys and wanted to do it just to like get out of Vegas and like have fun. And it was like an amazing experience. I always think about it uh, like fondly just, just like hanging out with them and getting to know them, mm-hmm. but also seeing like stuff that was going around, like on at the same time, like all the labels buying up and trying to sign all the bands that were kind of coming up around them. Like sure. damn Thursday, like there was brand new was around that time, like all those sorts of bands and seeing some of the bands that were kind of like obnoxious already mm-hmm. and taking like, labels shopping them around or like pitching to them and buying them dinners or telling everyone every one of these bands that they're the next nirvana like all that you know like right or like that whole pitch thing uh seeing how thrice reacted to that like was really inspiring how they just were doing their own thing and weren't being swayed or taking all this stuff and thinking they were like they were like humbled by it instead of gaining these crazy egos yeah dude they did yeah i mean they didn't buy into the the hype for one second i mean i obviously that not only speaks to them as people but then it also speaks to the people that they surrounded themselves with from a business perspective because you know whatever you know nick bogardis wasn't going to let them buy into an ego and like all these people were in that place to let them not get to a place of like, Oh dude, I'm the cool, we're the coolest band ever. This is, yeah. but yeah, it's cause there were other bands like that. They did one off shows that we met here and there, like not in not brand new or, or Thursday or anything. Uh, like bands, I'm not going to say they're actually bands that you like no one besides maybe you, right. Because you know, so much music stuff. What do you even remember? But just like buying the hype. I remember one guy being like, Oh, I can't wait to like, being a bus, but it was like their first tour and they were like touring with like, I don't, I was just like, Oh, that's, that's weird. And like, Oh, like these guys spent this much on our dinner. And I'm, it was like, so why are you disgusting. Bra- why are you bragging like, about a, this? But let's talk about like the shows and music. I don't know. Like <laughs> so, super weird to me. 
Well, I think and, it's, I think it's it's totally symptomatic of the idea of. I mean, you look at what child actors go through, and like obviously, the you know m- more often than not, they don't turn out normal as an adult, and so it's like you can only imagine this sort of pressure to be like all right, well, you got to be successful when you're 17, 18, 19, or however old you are. And then, you know, once people start to pay attention to you, you're immediately, you know, your instinct is to be like, I am awesome. I am cool. If you don't have other people surrounding you being like, D- just calm down. Like if you don't have yeah. one voice telling you to do that, it's like, it's so easy to just buy into it. I mean, as a general rule, as opposed to like, you know, people that have actually come from a scene and realize playing playing your first tour in front of a thousand people is not common. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or even, I don't even mind if it's like, there's not like even the paying the dues sort of thing. Or I mean, that's all sort of set. Just kind of the idea, because I, I mean, there are bands that have buses that make sense. They like worked up enough to have a bus and they want to have a bus because it's a luxury and they're going to pay for the luxury of the comfort because it's like, they're touring and it's a grind some bands never do that it doesn't matter but it's a, i don't know i always thought it was weird when bands kind of like hadn't toured yet and like expected more like people at the shows or expected buses or expected like just i guess just the expect like expecting stuff of course that like i don't know where they just expected it because other bands had it right. well <laughs> right no it's i think you're right because i think it it the the idea, I mean, th- this isn't us being overly nostalgic of like, oh, we we both started our bands not because we saw other people being successful at it, because there, you know, maybe there was a slight element of that. I mean, just whatever, taken being from Orange County, and we saw some of our peers getting some level of success, but our, you know, our level of success was selling at the showcase theater, which is like, you know, like that's meaningful to us, but not to the wider ecosystem of music. But like, if you start a band where you're merely influenced by like, Oh wow, I saw this band on Warp tour. And then gosh, like I want to start a band because I want to start a band. Like I want to be, I want to buy into that as opposed to like, Oh, I just want to do this because I, I feel the need to be creative or I'm bored when I'm 16 or whatever. Yeah. Or even if it's a, a sort of a mix, like I understand being goal oriented and being like, I want to make this band as big as possible. I want as many people, but the whole just, I don't, yeah. just sort of, I, yeah, I didn't have the same, I didn't have goals. I just wanted to make music right. <laughs> with no, my to- friends and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Totally. Well, and, and then I, really, I think, because I think that speaks to the the expectations and just like managing them. Because I mean, most of what um, we do, not only as humans, but then what we do when you're working with other creative people is trying to manage those expectations. And the moment those expectations start to get out of whack and you're, you know, looking for this thing to be there and then it's not there and you're crushed, that's when it's like, oh, like, oh, I, what? What do you mean? I don't get this. And it's like, well... <laughs> Not everybody gets this all the time, you know? Not everybody gets a bus every tour. Not everybody does this. Not everybody's expected to play in front of 500 people. It's like, you're going to have those really terrible shows somewhere. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, I just, expectations are definitely, like you said, I think that's the, if there's any lessons to be learned about pretty much any creative practice is like just managing those expectations. Like you have to like the process of what you're doing. Like to me, that's where the, satisfaction comes out of all of it it's not the the highs or the lows it's like 
do you like to do the thing that you do? All right, well then keep doing it as opposed yeah, to, exactly. or do you like the, the success and like all the other external noise that it comes from it? It's like, well, yeah, it's cool, but realize that that's temporary, you know? Yeah. Or it's easy to like get caught up in that. And there's a lot of people talking about that. And you know, it's like around, if you're in a band that's around you constantly, right. whether you talk about it or not. So you have to sort of choose to or not. And it's the same. Yeah. Like you're saying with creative endeavors, I, the one thing I think you need to learn or be good at to be a good band or good at anything is to fail like and learn how to handle that will make you better. Like so music, like playing a bad show in front of people or playing a show in front of no one and still trying to like be completely into it and not thinking about how no one cares or everyone's bored or like, why isn't there more people? Right. And like the same with like musician, like maybe like YouTube mis- musicians that have got tons of followers, but have never played or like comedians, like comedians is a good one, I guess. Uh, like the, if you have like, if you're like a comic and like maybe you have jokes uh, like on Twitter or videos and then you play your first shows at like festivals and like you have tons of people there that know who you are from the internet or wherever, the circumstances, like it's just your early shows are very, very good compared to most people and they're receptive. And then what if like later on you have to like turn the crowd over? like a get them to become fans of you because they're not, that's, I think there's a lot to learning how to do that that makes you better at stuff. Sure. The adver- the adversity is really, you. well, I mean, it's a cliched saying, but it's like you learn more from failure than you do success. And it's like, it's yeah. t- it totally is the case. Like if, if you and I didn't play so many sh- sparsely attended shows in, you know, all across the country and the world for that matter, it didn't, you know, you don't, while you do remember the really, really amazing shows, usually the ones that stick out in your head are just like, I remember playing in, in Montreal to 40 people. Like, you know, you remember the bad shows because they were so, I guess, foundational in like, oh, yeah, I just, well, I had to cry in the bathroom and get over it and then go play and then yeah. do another three weeks back home or whatever. It's like, those are the things that stick out, at least in my mind. My, mine too. Like, I remember... I remember as many bad shows as like amazing shows, if not more, right. or ones return. Like I remember one show that always sticks out in my mind is a Cleveland show. And it was, there was like a stage and it was like a, I don't know, like two to 400 capacity place and like 20 to 30 kids showed up. So it was like awkward right? because it was such a big place. So the workaround that we decided was just like everyone come on stage and just hang out with us while we play and just like stand around with us. Right. So it was like a circle and we kind of played in the middle and like it was almost just Who are you? It's almost like what we were doing. We were just having like a conversation hanging out right. with people. It was a practice. Yeah, but like the show, like everyone there was engaged. Like I like another example not where I'm not involved is like a musician. Uh, is I saw Turmoil play an empty like record store in Vegas, and not empty, but there was like not as many people that would go to those shows. Where that there was like it was like maybe like a weekday night, and there were like forty people, and they didn't care because everyone there was into it. Sure, which is always a, a way better thing. Is if you have twenty to forty people that are like 
full on into it compared to four hundred. I've seen like four hundred to a thousand like people in uh, like in attendance. It shows that kind of don't seem like they give a fuck, yeah, dude. That, and that's such that's a al- weird feeling. And it's almost worse, I would argue, because yeah, you're you're trying so hard to engage this large audience that just is indifferent towards you. Whereas like if you're playing to 20 people who already care about you, like that's already going to be a more engaging experience. Hello, pardon the interruption, but I am very excited to speak to you about Adam and Eve. They are one of the first advertisers to this whole podcast game. So I feel very validated that they have decided to invest in this show. You can make this Valentine's day one that you will never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. So, you know, they, they do uh, adult entertainment stuff, DVDs, toys, all of the fun things that you can incorporate into your bedroom life with your partner. What's not to enjoy from that? So throughout Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and an endless selection of DVDs. And there's more. You'll receive a romance kit, which includes, you know, some toys, a special massager, and a little something that uh, both of you and your partner will enjoy. So they're keeping a little secret. But you also get a free adult DVD, you know, to put you in the mood, if you enjoy that, of course. And that's not all. They also are giving you free shipping right to your doorstep. So go check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, free shipping when you enter the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S. That's W-O-R-D-S at adamandeve.com. You can't lose. It's fun stuff that you can do, like I said, in the safety of your own home with your partner for Valentine's Day. Come on, just do it up and you'll enjoy it. And I promise you that um, you'll get free shipping, right? (laughs) Do you have a friend or loved one suffering from lead singer syndrome? My body aches everywhere. I really don't feel like going to work. I haven't picked up a piece of equipment in at least seven to eight years. Where are you? Who are you? What do you want from me? It's the trash, the dressing room. You don't like me, you know, tough shit. I'm Shane Tolles, lead singer of the world-famous, universally-loved rock quintet Silverstein. And I'm on a mission to cleanse the world of lead singer syndrome. You can check out my progress every Monday at leadsingersyndrome.com. You you mentioning uh, the, you know, just uh, observing these kind of, you know, whatever, highs and lows of bands and stuff like that. I so distinctly remember, because, you know, you and I traded a few emails before, uh, just kind of, uh, you know, wanting to talk about tour and not, not being too, because I always hate going down the rabbit hole of nostalgia and, oh, things were better back then, because I hate that concept. But yeah, I actually don't like that. No. Like, real, I was fighting with my real, like, real quick tangent. I was like having a talk with like a bunch of people. And, uh, I like, like, I was like, if you had to choose only listening to old music, but you can never hear new music again, or you have to give up, like, you can never listen to Led Zeppelin or whatever, your favorite, you can never listen to anything that already came out starting now. And you only get, to, but you get to hear everything else that comes out while you're alive. Uh, like, which would you choose? And it was kind of like mixed. And I would have always just like, I was like fighting hard for, I don't, I've already heard that stuff. I want the new stuff. Like I'm always more interested in what's next. Totally. Like I don't, I don't have that sort of. I mean, I love a lot of old stuff, but I don't have that weird jaded. 
Yeah. Like my era is the best. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's I, I'm I'm with you, and that's and that's why I knew that we could have this sort of conversation, you know, taking off the rosy glasses of how it was so amazing in our yesteryear. But the uh, I just so distinctly remember because um, it was Hellfest either 2001 or 2002 that you guys played, right? Because you only played one, correct? We played two of them. Oh, did you yeah, play two? Okay, what would the, what the last Earth Crisis show? That was 2001, I want to say. That was like the in the gym that you guys played that kind of like little well it's not a little side stage but there was like two stages there one big stage and yeah one's, one's like kitty corner from the other yes big yes room. yeah that that was was that two thousand one I want to say I can't remember I don't know shit about years that yeah. seems right I think that was because I just was out there I can't remember why I went there I think I oh no I went there because well I know Chris Logan from Goodfellow was going to be there and then Taken was going to do. Uh, U.S. tour with This Day Forward, and that was going to be my first time meeting the rest of those guys because I I felt weird setting up a tour and never having met these people in person. So, but I remember going out there, and obviously, you, I knew you guys were playing, so it was going to be a fun time. But I just remember watching you guys because, you know, obviously by that time I'd seen you, you know, four hundred million times. But watching you in front of an audience that wasn't either of our hometowns and just like reacting to you guys, it was just one of those things where it's like that's fucking right that's fucking right they're do- like you are reaching a, a person beyond just like our like i said our sort of safety zone you know yeah it's like on the completely i remember uh like you're bringing up so much like interesting things like that was our first tour where we weren't going like playing california or a few spots on the west coast because that was like our area like that's the rounder hometown like we're familiar with that area like most of us hadn't even been pet like past illinois right so we did like we did like our utah denver what's it like omaha chicago like like whatever the like five shows it was along the way to get to hellfest and that was like the main thing and then we do the rest of our tour after that but i remember that was like the main we're like we're gonna play hellfest and it was like this big thing we were excited we're like young goofball kids but it was also like I was very nervous. I'm always nervous to play. That was extra nervous because like Syracuse, it's like, a, I'm like, this is like a place I've never been to. It's just like, I wouldn't be surprised if everyone's in a hardcore band in Syracuse. It seems like that half the bands like I've heard of are from there. Like right. all this like weird stuff is getting in my head. And I'm like, I've seen videos of like the Hellfest the year before. Like, this is crazy. Uh, what is like a dorky kid doing? playing with his band there right and then like we set up and i was like we just i just gotta go through it don't get nervous just do your thing like if it's not that good it's okay like it's just cool that you get to play and like it went pretty well or at least way better than i thought it would and like i remember just feeling so hyped after that like right like i'm in the middle of like a part of the country i've never been i only know like six people here like and something just happened and people i think that was like one of the first times where you see and like people knew our music a little bit right right and you like that that's like one of the first times that happened right where you're like oh wait like there's no way they can like know me because of someone else that i'm related to or like his friends in a band that's a friend that knows me like i don't know who these people are this is a genuine response this isn't yeah this isn't based on a person liking me as an individual. This is just like a person that has purchased our recorded music in the past and has no, has no interaction with us besides the fact they like our music. Totally. Yeah. It's super surreal and, and pretty rad. And a side, a side note, 
that it's especially you'll find uh, interesting, I guess, at least. Sure. I don't know about the rest of everyone, <laughs> but that's where I met Mike Oleander. Oh, yes. From Endeavor, Burned by the Sun, and Endeavor. Like, he's the guy that made me want to, like, scream in a band and all that thing. Say that every day, yeah. But that was uh, that was your that was your jam, man. I, I yeah. remember I remember how excited you were to meet him. And he was. It just happened that uh, "Burnt by the Sun" was like they had just like come up with an EP. And it yep. was like his new band, and their merch like table was right across from ours. So we were back to back, or so it was like on the other aisle. But we're back to back, and it took like because we were there for two days, I think. And I was like, all right. I gotta like just give him my band and say like our CD and say thanks right. without being a lamo, and I think I did it finally like the second day, and like he was super nice and I talked to him, but that that always sticks out because I was like the whole weekend like we're playing there I'm in a band with my friends like cr- across the country like the guy that made me like interested in wanting to actually scream instead of sing is like right next to me and his <laughs> band's playing the same thing right so I was like. Super rad. Yeah, you're like, what? What? What is this weird? This weird world. But yeah, no, it was. I, I just, I so distinctly remember that because it was. Yeah, it was just so. Um, yeah, just heartening because it's like you know, anytime you watch your friends be successful on whatever level it is, like you just have this like swell of pride that's like totally indescribable. It's like, it, it's it's almost honestly. Uh, even better than like when you yourself are at the center of like some level of success. It's kind of like, because you, when you're not doing something, you obviously have a clearer vision of whatever it is that's happening. Cause it's like, you know, when you're up playing, you have no clue. Like you're just, you know, spitting and slobbering and throwing the mic or whatever. But like yeah. to watch someone do something that's like really good at it and then have people react to it. It's just like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, you, I, I know you have that same feeling over and over too, where it's just like, that's, that's great. That is what you want for your friends. Yeah. That I want that for, for anyone that's doing this. Yeah. Actually, like I remember the, I have a specific one for taken that occurred in like California, of course, is like its own beast. Like you guys were from there. Uh, like we play lots of shows there with you, but uh, when we played in Hamilton in Canada with you guys the first time, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What is happening? Like, <laughs> there are so many kids going crazy. Like, it was it was amazing. It was like so rad." What, that, that was uh, that was at the Sonic Onion. Yeah, was that the um, was that like on the third story? Was like a really hot place, or was it? I mean, really hot place. I guess that's every venue we've ever played, but. <laughs> It was really cold. It was weird. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. No, I just it was it was Sonic Onion. I remember. Okay. They just uh, did they did shows there in different places. Like they did some in the basement. I don't think we ever played that one. But then yeah, I think I think it was probably like on the second story of the Sonic Onion building, or maybe yeah. third. I can't remember. But yeah, that that still to this day the fact that it's like anytime I tell anybody where it's just like. Oh yeah, like you know, when we did some reunion shows, we played Southern California, and you know, we went to Japan, which was rad, obviously. And then yeah, we played uh, you know Hamilton, Ontario. People are like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, dude, I know, I don't know why. Well, I mean, I do know why because that's where Goodfellow Records was based. Yeah. But it's just it, the the fact that the that particular area was just like so into everything that was melodic and hardcore, and it was like I think what transcended it too was that. I just noticed the people that were at the shows too weren't necessarily people that go to a ton of shows in general. Like they just liked music, you know? So it was like 
people who were like that I met, you know, this either the second or third time through there. It's like I just there, there was this band called Chore from up there who was like total hum worship, just like shoegaze heavy, amazing band. Never knew who they were until like the second time I came through there. And like the guy that I met was just like, yeah, I don't go to hardcore shows or anything, but it's like you guys, you know, I really identified with. And it was just like for me that was like, oh wow, like so you're not like a hardcore punk kid watching us play you know and like that was what made it a little more grander in my own mind you know same way that yeah. you're sitting across from mike oleander where it's just like oh wait a minute this is real this is really happening to me right now yeah totally or just <laughs> i felt the same too like i always appreciated the shows that we had or like 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 people that were into our band that we met at shows we played uh i think you guys probably had a similar thing to this they weren't like there was like hardcore kids of course and there was like different types of hardcore kids but it wasn't just like one type and there was a lot of weird nerdy kids right. i felt at like our shows right that i wouldn't see at other shows well because uh, i think I, I definitely think that just because neither of us particularly like adhered to a scene you know you guys just by default because like what bands exist in vegas like you guys didn't have an infrastructure besides the one that you built on your own uh, by playing gener- yeah, generator shows out in the middle of a desert um but then you know since we didn't we taken didn't fit in with orange county as far as sonically speaking that's why i think it's like the shows that we could play either together or separate we did draw the people who were like yeah i don't go to those hardcore shows but i go to these hardcore shows because it's not as uh whatever intimidating like you know I'm going to get punched in the face by a crazy mosh pit or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or just, yeah, it's just cool that like different people or go to different things or, yeah, I don't know. I just like, like more diversity and not, I don't I always hated like one of the things that I learned from like punk and hardcore is like the closed minded, like is like, is like, yeah, be yourself. Like do your thing. Like don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. Like, and then growing up in it, and then people would just like do the same shit, like <laughs> right. within the scene and stuff. And I, I don't know, I never had like the clicky thing where I was like wanted to be part of like a certain crew or like this was like this is exactly like my wheelhouse of how I'm gonna act, dress, be whatever. Right. Yeah. It was always. Uh, I mean, there's definitely you even though you weren't buying into the larger mainstream culture world of whatever it is kids and your peers were wearing and looking like and acting like you all you did was you bought into a different system it was i mean it's the same structure except it's just a smaller base of people who are interested you know yeah totally the uh i i the other thing I wanted to bring up and talk about, this is, wasn't really something that we emailed about. What was the idea? Um, there was, I mean, I think why we obviously bonded so closely as bands and human beings was the fact that I just, I was so engaged with what you guys were doing out of nothing. Like how I mentioned where it's like, you know, creating your own scene where it's like, yeah, of course there were other bands that had come before you guys, you know, Boba Fett youth and, and tomorrow's gone, you know, obviously there there had been shows and there's a reason that bands played Las Vegas, but you guys 
had to do so much heavy lifting as far as like, hey, let's get this record store called Balcony Lights to do shows. And then if they don't do shows, then we're going to go into the middle of a desert with a generator and like we'll play. And like I just and then like the Halloween shows that you guys put on at people's houses, like all this stuff is just so um, like we I mean, we in Southern California couldn't do it because all that stuff would get shut down immediately. But all the all the work that you guys probably didn't even feel like you were doing was just so like I just loved it. I, I soaked it up every every time you guys did something that I was like, wow, I wish we could do that, but we're not from Las Vegas and we have a scene to play to or whatever. Yeah, no, I guess like the two. So it's half like we had reference points because we could get like Revelation Records or like the like victory like catalogs and then find out about music like that way and then just like pick up anything you know you like or you take cds at the time and you just look at the thanks list and you grab every band from cigarettes thanks list because you're getting into like heavier punk and then that just like sends you down a road and your friends are doing the same so you kind of exchange info and you do that so we had reference points for stuff like we wanted that we were getting into other we wanted to emulate to learn and figure out what we wanted to do. And so we had that that everyone else has. But I guess we sort of didn't. We had like Boba Fett Youth and Tomorrow's Gone and stuff. But we didn't have like, there wasn't like a set venue. There wasn't like a set scene of kids or, or people you met to become contacts with to, be, to get shows in Vegas. It's sort of, like you say, we were just, it's almost like we were like making it up and didn't even know. We just, like, it, I mean, the bands were just us to have fun. Like, we would just play shows and houses because we're like, let's just play this house. We'd play, like, like college keggers, and half of us weren't even in college because we just wanted to, like, play and go as crazy as possible and freak people out or get a reaction or just have fun and then, like, bounce. And then, like, all right, what can we do? Let's make a, let's make a tape. Let's make a demo. Let's do some artwork. Like, all those steps we were just doing and not thinking about a game plan i think at all just it was necessary it was like yeah just because we wanted to do it and and we wanted to like have this experience that people in other cities were having i i think i was i was almost no i was envious of the fact that you guys like that's what i mean that was part of the reason why obviously we always went out to play vegas like any opportunity that we could because it was always one of those things where obviously it was always amazingly fun to hang out with you guys. But then the show was obviously just one component. Then we would always do the stupidest stuff afterwards. Like two distinct memories I have were where we like we would drive in usually, well, I can't remember either one of our vans, we'd all pile into it and then we would drive up and down the strip yelling very questionable and non-politically correct things at people out the window and like i just like the the entire van was in stitches just yelling at people on the strip and it was like you know even saying it out loud right now i'm just like i can't believe we did that for like hours but it was so amazing yeah or just i remember a thing you can't do now but what we do at the time on the strip is we do the dry ice bombs like when it was like crowded on the weekends on like (laughs) las vegas boulevard which is where all like the casinos and strip is and you'd be in like back to back traffic and you like start a dry ice bomb and then just like throw it in the trunk or in the back of the van, <laughs> like cover it up and then just wait. And then like watch everyone around you, like once it goes off, just get so confused. <laughs> totally. And they're just laughing. And uh, I don't, I'm pretty sure you can't do that. Like, no. 
now post like this is like pre 911 stuff. Yeah. This this was uh, yeah, yeah, this was like 90 98 99. <laughs> yeah. I once like was holding my head waiting for it to go off and I kind of had like my thumb like near my eye and I actually, actually like when it got off I knew it was go- coming but when the driest bomb went off I like fucking gave myself a black eye cuz it was like so loud that like <laughs> ended up like jamming my finger into my eye for me like oh what the f-? uh so I, just, I can't imagine like what other people around us were just like so confused or scared. Uh, but like more to your point, I guess like on thing, I, I'm pretty sure all of us like in Curl and Die and like the other bands and like the like the crew of people that we were friends with that were going to shows at the time did what we we're interested in was like Vegas was kind of like a nothing. This was like our hometown, like we were not from like LA or New York or Philly or any of these places. Uh, so like when bands would come through, we would try to do stuff and like have as much fun with them as possible. I remember definitely like that's when I would like, I would never go to the strip in Vegas unless like family or friends come. It's like the same thing. Like I wait to do this crazy shit when bands would come through that we'd hang out with like, Oh, this is our night out. Like this is our, Friday night club, but instead we're going to like be weird on the strip or we would like take bands bat hunting, right? which is like a weird thing out of context. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, but, I, but I, that was, that was the second thing that I was going to mention of just the, the weird fun adventures that we would go on in the middle of the desert, like just <laughs> throwing those dry ice bombs down like huge storm drain hallways that they would explode. And then with the hope that bats would fly out of it. <laughs> Yeah, and we t- we would do that for like hours at like three or four in the morning because apparently that's the best time to get bats. Like, it was, yeah, it's so stupid. It was so good, just like. But the logic that we all had of just like this, dude, this is the best thing ever. And it was like, and yeah, then we'd get like you know Ronald's donuts afterwards or whatever. It's like it was just the stupidest stuff. But yeah, so of that particular not a, of that particular time frame and the particular location as well. Yeah, definitely. I just saw like. Some like a lady that follows Morrissey around. She has like a like a fashion sort of blog, like a vegan fashion blog okay. sort of thing. And my friend was showing me her stuff. She's like, "This lady just saw Morrissey in Vegas, and she's raving about Ronald's donuts." She's like, "Is that where we used to go eat donuts?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And then like <laughs> I'll hear about Ronald's donuts from like vegan blogs or vegan people or what. Like it just comes up a lot yep. about like vegan in Vegas. And I'm like, that's so surreal. We just like go there at five in the morning. It was like this weird hidden place. Yeah, but I'm like, it's so rad. Donut shop in Chinatown. You have no idea that the first the first two rows there are vegan. Yeah, exactly. It's so awesome. <laughs> but the, uh, I, the, the I guess the last thing that we can kind of you know jump off of was the um, the uh, the the notion of obviously like the 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 shows that you played being. Um, you know, really good. And like, that is so in relation to the context where it's like, you know, you, uh, whatever. I, I know we were, we were trading emails in regards to some of the stupid stuff that we had in our heads as far as like, Oh, do you remember that? Like show that we played in Iowa at a sports bar and then the promoter, well, that was, he wasn't even the promoter, but he was the, I think he was the owner of that bar that owned a strip club across the street. Yeah. He kind of owned like that block or like at least the strip club, it was across the street from 
the bar slash music venue that we played at. Right. And he was like kind of this biker, older biker guy. <laughs> right. He's like, oh, go over like free access to like the Iowa City Strip Club, which is just like super weird in itself. Uh, I, and I remember, yeah. I remember us being on the sidewalk, like legitimately deliberating on like, should we go? Because like this would be good for a story, but like I don't know, man. This could be really dark. Like this could be really depressing. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I mean, we obviously chose not—well, not obviously, but we chose not to go. And I, I think in retrospect, it was a good decision. But the—I think the 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 thing that I think of when I I go through all these memories and dredge up the the ideas of all this is that it's not necessarily well, it's never necessarily the obviously the size of the shows, but just these really really unique individual snapshots of these particular moments in time of of a show like you know oh i remember when you know taken played was from a second story window in a comic book shop in you know iowa or whatever like you just remember those like distinct moments and you're just like that show was really good because of this and then like you probably would be able to even the bad shows you'd still have this really distinct memory of like oh yeah i remember it was a bad show because we played with this headlining band and no one came in to see us or whatever like you just yeah. have those 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 moments or just yeah, just like like the ones where everything went wrong or everything went right, but it didn't matter. Uh, yeah, it is like a weird. It's like a snapshot, and it almost tells the whole story because it's like you go, you're like at this place and this venue, and that's things. And like, what are the kids there? How do they react? How are you there? Like, what happened before you played the show? What happened after? Uh, and I I was thinking about this recently. Like, I like our friends are older now. And they got kids or jobs or like like you know mm-hmm. you're you're one of me. Right. <laughs> so you have friends like you still go to a lot of shows. I don't go to as many shows, but I'll have a friend or two that we like talk about. Oh, do you want to go see this show? Or like, do you want to check out this band? And then I remember we were sort of like, oh, let's see like what like a video of them, like what the sh- shows look like, or especially for like reunion bands. Like, oh, is it still going to be cool, or is it going to be like not the same as what you remember? So is it worth it? like just debating that back and forth and using videos on like YouTube or whatever to like judge that. And then being like, Oh, I don't know. And then like between like thinking about that and having negative thoughts and then like being at a show and the, even if it seems like it wouldn't be good in a video, it's just like not, it just like, it's like a bad way to judge. Yeah. Like the event and like, like you're saying the snapshot because you feel the music like, you can feel that. That's, like, an added element that you don't feel through the video. Like, you see the people. You're next to the people around you. Like, you could see this. It's just a whole no, it's true. thing you can't, like, and you're not going to get it back except for with your memory. Yeah. Like, it happens, it's done. But I, th- I definitely think that there is, um, that, that obviously changes over time. Because I think now, I mean, I think, you know, what I, what I look for in sort of live music experiences is obviously, is, is just that, an experience, you know? It's like, do, you know, I necessarily need to see another, you know, four-piece, you know, hardcore indie band play with, like, no production at, like, Chain Reaction if I've seen them two times before. They're not going to put on a different show. It's the same kind of thing. But, like, obviously, it's like, oh, they're playing in front of a thousand people this time, and they've got a cool light show or whatever. It'll be different. So that's why I'm interested in going. But then you do bring up a really good point that I think that's what the sort of adventure of it all that you are that you kind of crave when you are younger really speaks to that, where it's like you, you're not getting all, everything of what you're talking about. You're not – you're just getting – 
the actual live performance as opposed to, oh, dude, you remember going to Denny's afterwards or, you know, all those other intangibles that you don't calculate for, but they happen because you're present, you know? Yeah. Like just, yeah, even the, like the friends you're around there and like those experiences, the strangers you're around, Mm -hmm. uh, the band itself, like between the show, like even like the merch area, just the whole, it's just like a whole thing. Like, I don't like I go to a lot of probably the majority of shows I go to are just like basement shows here. Right. Just cause I go with like our mutual friend Kyle that lives here. He just like is all thrash crust. Like, so he finds out about a show and he's like, let's go to this, this show. And then it just gets me so hyped. And I'm usually one of the older guys there. Right. And it doesn't sound good usually, <laughs> right. uh, but like everyone's having fun and there's like no, there's no posturing. There's no, it just, it's just like a perfect little, it's just a perfect little moment of just chaos and people just like playing in a band, expressing themselves and then people watching it and hanging out and goofing off with each other and getting into the music. And then everyone leaves and they go out their day and then another one happens later. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. That's, and that's why ultimately no matter how, the industry as a whole or our particular corner of the industry changes as far as the way that people consume music. You can never, ever replicate the feeling of watching live music. Like that's, you're never going to take that away. People are always going to want something from that experience, whether or not it's like going to a seated theater to watch a person perform or whether it's going to, you know, a total DIY basement show, like whatever you're looking for, there will always be some version of that out there, you know? It's just, it's just a matter of looking hard enough, you know? Yeah, and both, there's, like, multiple, ver- like, and there's good versions of all types, like, within the spectrum, like the basement show or the, like, desert show compared to, like, the stadium show or, like, I don't know, I'll see, like, Sufjan Stevens or, like, Fiona, Fiona Apple at, like, the Chicago Theater and you're seated and it sounds amazing and it's, like, it's. I think it just depends if it's within your interest, like, and it's engaging, then there's like no replacing that. Yeah. Never, never. Well, this is, this is beautiful, Michael. You, you, you summed up the, I didn't know that we were going to come to a conclusion on why live shows matter. I didn't either. <laughs> I guess this is the beauty of a conversation. Exactly. <laughs> well, this was fun, dude. I'm, I'm glad that we uh, were able to document this. Yeah, definitely. All right, there you have it. That was our discussion. Pretty uh, pretty informal, loose, fun. And like I said towards the end of the conversation, just uh, amazing the places that you could go within, uh, within 40 to uh, 60 minutes with a friend. So uh, for those of you keeping track, you probably recognize I hyped up a different guest for this uh, week. And uh, yeah, Ian is going to be on the show soon, I promise. Ian Fowles, he plays guitar in the band called, uh, you know, the Aquabats. He also plays guitar in a bunch of other projects, uh, including being a founding member of Death by Stereo. Uh, I'm going to have him on, but I just had some audio problems with the episode. Um, you know, those things happen sometimes. But anyways, that's uh, that's. I just wanted to let you know, for those of you who are just like waiting on a week-to-week basis, being like, oh man, why are you lying to me? You said you were going to have this person on, but yeah, that's a very vocal minority of you. But um, anyways, 
The guest next week is Cameron Miller. He is vocalist for a band called Seizures, and uh, this conversation is incredible. He has an insane story about his life and an experience uh, that basically formed uh, most of what he's doing within the context of his band and uh, just how he's been able to um, kind of get through the other end of it. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's kind of kind of crazy, but anyways. With that being said, please visit the show's website, one hundred wordspodcast dot com. Visit the social media properties on Facebook. Give us a like there, and uh, why don't you follow us on Twitter at one hundred words podcast? So, please, until next week, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, JabberjawMedia dot com. Shh.